Okay, Carl, time to tap into that font of traveler knowledge. Chaosium, when they put out Thieves World, I think it was Chaosium put Thieves World out, had stats for traveler there in Thieves World. So where in the third Imperium is Thieves World? everyone and welcome to the geomologist presents that was jason connerly at the top of the show asking an interesting question and to answer his question i would say well there's two possibilities one that these world is some sort of recreation world for the rich and famous somewhere in the imperium you could put it wherever you just gotta find a world that matches the stats and nothing official is on it or if it's something official is on it well you just change it that's the beauty of the official Traveler universe. Mark Miller is not going to come knock on your door or send the Pinkertons to see if you're playing in the official Traveler universe or if it's in the or not, right? So, and then the other alternative is it could be like an actual world um, maybe populated by some sort of fringe element during the, the rule of man or the long night. And it would be somewhere in the word extents. So there is several um, several sectors to Spinward of the Spinward marches that are have been developed and have some really strange worlds. And the the Aslan are there, the Jodani are there, but beyond that, it's just uncharted. So it could be in the uncharted Spinward extents. And then what was what is cool is that the magic that you see on these world could just be a form of psionics or different psionic powers that are manifest. So I think it would really work. So uh, thank you for that call. And here uh, in this geomologist presents, what are we going to do today? Well, I got call-ins from a number of people, so we'll hear those and respond. And then we will talk about this really fantastic weekend of gaming and it wasn't just games that i ran i ran uh two games this weekend i ran a game of call of cthulhu uh, for my wife and a friend of ours and we finished a an adventure called uh, spare the rod which is in uh, tales of the miskatonic valley i think it's by golden goblin press but i, I could be wrong uh, but it's in there and we finished that and it was pretty pretty exciting pretty cool um and then i ran a savage rifts game for my wife and darren green and that is an ongoing game i wasn't too happy how it went but the players enjoyed it um or at least my wife told me she enjoyed it and darren didn't say he didn't uh so uh, no knowledge is positive knowledge i don't know i, I didn't like it because i i kind of was I tried to use some like random charts and I didn't know where to go in the Savage World book and I need to like dig deeper into finding the actual travel rules that I like for Savage Worlds, not just the ones in Suede. I think there's some in in um one of the Savage Rifts book. I can't remember which one, but I know that um Kevin from Madison from Dungeon Musing says used it. 
uh, or maybe he's the one from Pathfinder, um, Savage Pathfinder. Anyway, I just got to track it down because I really like how it, it doesn't just draw cards and something happens. Like the players can influence how, you know, the outcome during the travel sequence. And we have probably like where they're going, they probably at least a couple days of travel. So we do it once, um, which would be good. And and I think I put them into Murktown, uh, which is a, a, a town that if you're, if you played Rifts, you're familiar with There's a lot of mercenary companies there. A lot of, it's like a big barter town. Um, you can buy anything uh, except slavery is illegal. Uh, it's on the edge of the Federation of Magic in sort of the uh, the free people's lands between uh, se- several coalition states. Um, but I, and there's a book on it. It's a Rift World book on it, but uh, I didn't have it at the time. And I really, uh, well, I didn't get into Murktown as much except to describe it as a big cosmopolitan town with a giant bazaar and you could buy anything. So I think now that I have a map and tools, I can kind of... Uh, do more things in Murktown. Maybe they'll want to stay in Murktown. We did have, so they're, uh, they did have a lot of fun. Oh, I guess I'm doing a recap of it here. So, um, no, let's, let's wait for that. I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but suffice us to say, I think the next time we run Savage Rifts, I'll be more prepared and, uh, it'll be more engaging because I have more, better ideas and what I have, what I want to do. Um, but there was at least a good combat, um, with it. And, uh, the characters did some, fun and cool things but what i i guess what i wanted to talk about more is like i played in a couple of games uh where where i was not the gm and i was a player and that were, were games run by kevin madison of the dungeon musings uh, youtube you can go watch these uh live either live stream or he records it so you can watch it later and i played it uh, i played warhammer fantasy and someone else was running it which was pretty cool and i had a really great time and i'll talk about that a little bit and then um, I played in his charity game, which was Savage Worlds. And we were like uh, heroes, boxer rebellion, big peasant heroes. Uh, we, and he, he kind of adapted Savage Worlds um, to have like a magical or at least focused, key focused based kung fu kind of like you see in Wuxia films and um, in the Shaw Brothers stuff, you know, uh, Wong Fei Hong type stuff. So um gently uh so it was good uh it was really good i had a really great time it, it was actually well well received on on um on the youtube channel it's got a lot of good comments so anyway um we'll get to the calls first and then uh some recaps all right oh yeah and because it is call a cthulhu theme we do have a cthulhu related unboxing so um yeah That'll be at the end, though. Hey Carl, it's Hobbs. Hey, listening to your NTR. In a quarter mile, turn left onto Wolf Road, Wolf's Crossing Road. <laughs> oh, sorry, GPS. Uh, and we are about so close now until we're leaving. I have not done any of my prep. All it's been doing is percolating. But uh, you should know TJ Drennan, the guy Take who the did your music. Take the next left onto Wolf Road, Wolf's Crossing Road. The guy who did your music is also going to be there. 
um, at NTR, at NTX basically, I think is what the cool people call it. How it got that name, I don't know. Uh, I'm looking forward in to your- In a quarter mile, turn left onto Cardinal Avenue. We deal in lead and uh, enjoyed the episode. I'm still disappointed I can never seem to get into the Beyond the Claw game. One of these days, oh, and I also wanted to tell you that I really think if my niche is maps and lurid details, yours is absolutely taking events either from real world or from... Take uh, the next left onto Cardinal Avenue, then turn right onto Belmont Avenue. Existing IPs and, and using them all together. So I'm not surprised the Star Wars game is going so well for you because I remember all the semi-historical games, historical fiction games we played and how good of a job you did at weaving uh, real-life events and uh, made-up events together and making them feel like a really cool, cohesive whole. So keep it going, brother. I can't wait Take to see Take the next you. ride on the Belmont. Hey, Hobbs. Uh, great to hear from you. Thank you for those kind words. It's going to be awesome to see TJ Drennan. Maybe he and I can do some music or some singing. And um, Well, he's probably got a good voice. My voice is kind of crappy by now uh, after so many years. Of smoking and drinking. No, not really. I don't smoke, but I do like my beers and my whiskey. Uh, anyway, be, it's going to be great to see you. I don't know what this, why NTX on the Discord is called NTRPGCon. I know it's a mouthful. It's a long abbreviation, but see, I think they don't, they don't want to call it NTX because they don't want to cease and desist from the NTX Korean uh, K-pop uh, boy band that exists. I think that's why they're not using NTX, so be careful if you use NTX, because you might get a, a cease and desist. And speaking of cease and desist, this is a personal rant of mine. So a local brewing company has a beer called Dale Shines, and D-A-L-E, with a tilde, well, like an accent mark at the end, Dale in Spanish, Shine. And this um, brewing company, which has a, 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 it's not even a similar sounding, not even the same type of beer. Dalla Shine is a Mexican-style lager. And then this brewing company, you could probably figure out who it is. They have a famous beer called uh, Dale's Pale Ale. And uh, they're like sent a cease and desist to my friend's brewery. And I don't understand it. So I'm not going to drink um, Oscar Blues anymore. So there you go. I named the brewery. Um, I'll probably get in trouble. Anyway, um, that's just a little personal rant. I don't understand I know there. I, I guess they they have a place in Austin, and there is another. So there's another. I don't know what is the deal with Austin. Maybe too many lawyers for a small area, but they're pretty litigious. Uh, we have another. Uh, we have a another brewery friend who had a um, who had a monkey in the title of their brewery name, and they were given a cease and desist by another brewery who had monkey in the title of their brewery name. And there's no way that they would confuse those two breweries because that brewery, Suds Monkey, kind of sucked. And then this brewery that I'm talking about, uh, I think they, I don't even remember the name of the title because they've done so well with the second pitch title. So maybe it was a blessing in disguise. But Suds Monkey in Austin sucks. I will never go there again either. Anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for like the real world niche thing. I have a lot of great ideas and and you got me thinking and percolating in my head, if you're using that term percolating, um, that there, especially now with there's things like, you know, Mississippi University Press and Octoon Cthulhu is letting people kind of 
use their IP and pictures and stuff like that. If you, as long as you don't make something that is going to be in a product that they're going to have. And I think I have particular niches and I've really enjoyed, uh, I, I mean, people still ask me if I'm going to ever run Cthulhu Invictus again, because I had a great Cthulhu Invictus where I, the backdrop was the uh, Todeberg Forest Massacre in 89 by uh, the combined German forces against um, several legions. And I actually have a t-shirt <laughs> that uh, alludes to that, which is kind of funny. I've had a great time um, doing stuff in Call of Cthulhu, especially because it kind of is kind of real world, but the real world is fake or false because of the cosmic horror that is out there. So maybe that's why I like um, games like that, like Call of Cthulhu, like Octum Cthulhu, um, like Old West games, where you can, you know, yes, it's fiction, but it's kind of historical fiction. So um, hope to continue that trend. Yeah, I, I mean. I really am enjoying writing for stuff for DCC, for convention games, and we'll see how they go. Hopefully they develop, hopefully I get good feedback, but uh, it's going to be great to see uh, everyone there at NTX in North Texas RPG Con. And um, yeah, it could be a really good weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Carl, I hope you're having or had fun or are getting ready to have fun at North Texas RPG Con. I don't know when you're leaving, but it sounds like you're ready, man. Uh, that's awesome that you've got to meet so many cool people and that you'll get to see them again. That's got to be the coolest part of going to the same con over and over again, right? Like, I've only been to one con one time, and I had a blast, and then the world shut down. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, Kingmaker sounds totally awesome. I'm glad you guys are running through that. And I wonder how different the video game is from the actual Adventure Path. You know, because there's also the Wrath of the Righteous video game out there. And I haven't played it. None of my players have played it. But I've seen some gameplay of it. And it looks a little different. So, I'm just, yeah, I'd be really curious to know about that. But the... So here's here's my question though that I have for you, Carl. Whenever you say the name Twilight Two Thousand, the name of the game, I my brain instantly thinks sci-fi. I don't necessarily know why, just because I guess Twilight. I think of space, the sky, which makes me think of space. But are there sci-fi elements? like futuristic stuff or alien or any, any weird sci-fi stuff in twilight 2000, not in necessarily the game you're running, but in the overall world of twilight 2000 though, you know, saying that, I don't know if there is like world lore outside of the campaigns or whatever. Anyway, man, that's my question. Is there sci-fi stuff in twilight 2000? Anyway, dude, have a great time at North Texas RPG con, and I will talk to you later. Peace out. Hey, Joe, thank you for the call. I'm looking forward to North Texas RPG Con. And uh, I, I honestly have no idea how Kingmaker, the adventure path versus the video game work. I generally am not a video game guy, but I know a couple of my players played it all the way through, or at least one of my players did. So I can ask them if uh, 
yeah, if they, uh, how similar they are. But again, he didn't remember the little little trick or little um, secret um, in the adventure path that was definitely in the video game. Uh, maybe, or maybe when that happened, he's like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so at least he doesn't. Maybe it's because we it's fortunate that we get old and we forget things. Uh, but he doesn't seem to be affecting the gameplay at all. Um, and he is just a surprise. So I think that is pretty cool. So as far as Twilight 2000 goes, well, I think it is kind of in the realm of speculative fiction, like all the like a books like uh, Guns of the South by Harry Turtledove are considered sci-fi, like uh, when they kind of do this time travel thing and it's an alternate verse. Same thing with Dies the Fire series by S.M. Sterling. Um, they're speculative fiction, like a what if this had happened at a certain time um, and it changed the course of history. So I guess Twilight 2000 would technically be sci-fi, but I think I know what you mean. Uh, and I probably because there is a game called Twilight Imperium, which is a board game about like a space opera related board game. That's probably why people think of Twilight 2000 as maybe part of that universe or something like that. Um, they actually do have an RPG out using the Genesis system for a Twilight Imperium now. So that's going to cause some confusion. But there is a product actually... They put out for Twilight 2000, the second edition called Twilight Nightmares, and they throw in some weird stuff that is definitely uh, in the realm of science fiction and horror, actually, adventures or encounters that the, the survivors could could happen, or if you're playing Merc 2000, to be part of the mission. And, actually, and I was looking through the book, because I actually still have the book, and I was looking at notes from the last time I played Twilight slash Merc 2000 way back in the day. And uh, it kind of showed the valley where the player characters got ambushed and were annihilated uh, and captured. Or some were killed and some were captured. And then the campaign kind of died. But it was I had used an adventure from Twilight Nightmares, but they didn't even get to the nightmare yet. This was just a... Maybe they encountered some of the nightmare, but uh, mundane forces um, took them out. So, um, yeah, Filipino special forces actually took him out. They pissed off. Uh, somehow they pissed off a local Filipino uh, group or the Filipino group was after them for some reason. I can't remember why. Uh, maybe there was a, a bounty on their heads. I think it was a bounty on their heads. And uh, while they are good at doing ambushes in the past, this time it didn't work out for them. So I guess you could throw in sci-fi elements. And I think at the time, a little history lesson, uh, Twilight 2000 Second Edition was done with the Game Designs Workshop House system, and they also had Merc 2000 out. They had Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. They had Dark Conspiracy. They had Traveler, and all these used the same system, so they were able to kind of intermingle them. And there was definitely some of that hint, hint in here. And actually, it was kind of cool. Um, Connerly and I and some of the others were talking on. On the, in the GM's lab and and one of the players like, what are you going to do for your birthday? And it was discussion and maybe I'm going to do something akin or inspired by uh, something in the Twilight Nightmares book, either using Mark 2000 or even Millennium's End rules. So uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. I'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks for the call.
Cole, it's been a while since I've been at the online gaming table and it was great to make a little comeback with some Warhammer fantasy roleplay, joining yourself, Dungeon Muser, my brother, and my old buddy Jonathan. What a crew to play with. For me, a bit of a dream team. I feel like we've shared a lot of chat about Warhammer, the to and fro messaging and, and listening to your episodes, your recaps. Uh, some really interesting sessions you've recounted got me interested in the game uh, a little bit of nostalgia in there as well recently has, has got me interested and I was not disappointed it's a real privilege to, to play with you guys and your kind of knowledge of the background and the rules well not just yourself but Kev and my brother and Jonathan all really up to speed with all that stuff uh, my technical issues let me down a little bit but I think I've got that all sorted now and I'm I'm hoping you're going to be able to join us for another session it's um, yeah it's just a, a great scenario the uh, rough night of the three feathers we talked about it a classic and um, yeah I hope you enjoyed the game and I'll be interested to hear what you made of it all um i particularly like the uh, the angle of the the social classes that you come across in the warhammer games uh, not something i've dabbled with in other games much so i'm gonna i'm keen to see how that goes anyway mate I, i've lost my thread there a little bit so i'll cut this one short take care and i'll catch you later Hey there, Colin. Thank you for calling in and those kind words. Yeah, Warhammer Fantasy, the first, the world, is such a, a great fun to play in. I really am enjoying the fourth edition. I think it cleans up a lot of things. I know people jump back to the uh, first, uh, maybe second edition because they're a little more uh, deadly, but I don't know. I, I guess it really depends because you could still have fate uh, intervene when your character were, uh, died or some such, so or not get a disease or whatever. So it's still a, a pretty harsh world either way, whether you have fate or fortune or resolve and resilience on your side or not. And um, you got to use that meta currency in the eyes of the gods um, upon you wisely, I think. Rock Knight of the Three Feathers was great fun to play. I, I, def I really enjoyed it. Um, so I guess I'll take the opportunity to talk about it a little bit here. So... Um, so I'm playing Elsa, who is a, a, a witch hunter, and uh, I thought it was a really fantastic, fun role-playing. There was a, a combat encounter and some other interest, very interesting interactive encounter. Rough Knight of the Three Feathers has been around since White Dwarf. I think it was White Dwarf. Was it a dungeon? Anyway, or a dragon magazine. Anyway, in the, since the first edition, it's been redone by Graham Davis uh, for multiple uh incarnations of the warhammer fantasy rule set and the fourth edition is really cool because they have they have it in sort of a compilation so it has rough knight of the three feathers and then it has adventures that would follow on to that so you can make it sort of a campaign um kind of uh, set of adventures which i think is really really neat and i've run it for my group and they said that this was like the um the best adventure that they've ever played i ran it for i Warhammer 4th Edition Fantasy Group, and then we went into uh, uh, Terra at Talibheim, um adventure for that was made for Warhammer 2nd uh, Edition, but we 
did it in the fourth edition and it was a very satisfying, very cool. We started it live and then COVID happened and we finished it uh, online. And then from that, some of the players were like, well, I want to play this again and play this some more. So then we decided to start the enemy within. So that's the origin of that story. But what's cool is just, and I know Madison, I talked to Madison about this already, Kevin Madison. He said, I know you've run it and played it, but uh, you know, I can change it enough so you won't know everything. And it's true. I don't remember a damn thing from that adventure. There's so many things going on. Think of the movie Four Rooms where all these things are happening and you got to deal with them. So what we dealt with, so Elsa and uh, Spike Pitt's character Molly were sitting at a table. Um, some shenanigans had happened beforehand in a previous session uh, where Darren Green and some other players, I don't quite remember which players are are there. I know Jonathan Dorman joined us and he played um, uh, an elven uh, merchant. Uh, this time around, I can't remember the name. Um, honestly, so I have to look back. But anyway, these characters are built pretty well. That's something from the starter set, and I was impressed by them, and now I understand why they're so well built. We commented on that when I've used them before when I was running some Uberstrike adventures and jumping into the starter set uh, set of adventures, and they're like second tier, right? So that's why they're so pretty competent. So um, anyway, so we're sitting at the bar. These people come in. They're causing trouble, and we get into a little bit of a scuffle, and then uh, Elsa takes advantage of uh, meta gaming wise, but I guess in the worst you would know this. Black powder weapons are pretty damn powerful and not and kind of scarce really, but uh, people and they make a lot of a bang, a lot of noise, a lot of smoke. So there is so people have to make a fear check um, if if they go off and you're not ready for it or used to it um, or battle hardened. So I take out my pistol and I shoot it up in the air and I roll it fantastic. Um, on my, I get many levels of success. It's a percentile dice. The lower you get, the better. I get many levels of success, and it intimidates the crap out of everyone. So the, the fighting stops, um, and then we go about our business. We feel like we're obligated. This guy, this this, this uh, nobleman who was looking for his fiance who had eloped, um, and and I guess the uh, maybe the inn was in on it. I don't know. Anyway, we go up to talk to them. They're kind of not very pleasant people. Um, but we warn them anyway as our, as our, as our obligation. Um, we hear strange noises. We hear a scream. Um, we, um, we learn that. So there's this noble woman um, in the house who, had, who and her, her entourage, along with the champion, are going to a big city. I don't know if it's Altorf exactly, but they're going to a big city to, um, to answer the, the uh, combat, combat at arms challenge or... Um, She's been accused of something, so they're using a trial by combat to solve it, and she has a champion. But it turns out the champion is killed, and unfortunately it is Elsa's dagger that is stuck in him, and it's obvious it's Elsa's dagger because she probably has like etched in the um, symbol of Sigmar. Um, I know some people didn't really realize it at the time, but unfortunately would have had an opportunity to lift it. But Elsie knows she didn't do it. She realizes her dagger is missing. Someone probably stole it, and one of the kerfuffles or things, shenanigans that were going on earlier. Um, but, you know, she's a witch hunter. And I, my defense is that, well, um, witch hunters would publicly don't execute people in private. They don't assassinate people. They would publicly accuse them and have them burned at the state or killed out in, a, in public if they resist. And uh, there is no signs of scuffle or anything like that. So, So there you go. Um, we also have an ally among the Graven's entourage, so that hopefully that'll help. And uh, Elsa won't be strung up, but she's going to present her defense. 
and hopefully it goes well, if not well, and make another character, and that's the way things go in the Warhammer verse, unfortunately. Uh, the problem for the Graven, though, is that now her champion is dead, uh, so how is she going to defend herself in the trial by combat? Hmm. All right. That was kind of the nutshell of Warhammer Fantasy, and thanks for the call, Colin, and we'll talk and play with you soon. Oh, thanks again, Kevin Madison, uh, Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Uh, I put links in the show notes for his YouTube channel of actual play and the charity that he uh, sponsors and where all the money from his Patreon or wherever you donate. I don't think he has a Patreon, but wherever you donate uh, to his charity events, it goes to uh, Heroes Save Villages, SOS Children's uh, Villages. So um, for the education of orphans around the world, it's a great cause. And I put links in the show notes. All right, next up is Sam. Hey, Carl, good to hear more about your uh, Twilight 2000 group. You sound like you have a, um, a nice bunch of players. Um, I don't have a blog or a, or a um, podcast or anything like that. I'll leave that to you. You guys, you guys do a good job, and I'm just looking for a conversation sometimes. And um, thanks for facilitating that. Um, I, I just uh, try to keep my life simple and not have too many things. Um, yeah. So, yeah, my uh, my Twilight 2000 campaign was using uh, 2.0. Um, something I always wanted to play since the 90s, but my groups never um, never got into. Um, and yeah, I bought a used copy three or four years ago, and um, found it in a, in a uh, at a convention actually uh, for cheap. And um, I just uh, it was my it was my first time getting back into RPGs since um, since I was a teenager in the 90s. And um, yeah, just uh, it's finished now, but yeah, it was a blast. It was basically like real world Vietnam, but the characters took it in some crazy directions, and it went pretty off the wall. It was great. Anyway, man, I'm about to run out of time, but um, yeah, enjoying the conversations. Thanks, Sam. It's always great to hear from you, and cool to hear about your uh, Vietnam era Twilight 2000 campaign. Yeah, I guess this. Twilight 2000 second edition keeps coming up and maybe and I someone was even asking on my discord the other day um what I'm going to do for my birthday I run a game every year and there's been some suggestions thrown out there but someone suggested kind of like a a an adventure inspired by Janissaries by Jerry Pornell and I maybe even using Merc 2000 slash Twilight 2000 second edition and um, and or Millennium's End or one or the other or both or neither maybe even Savage Worlds would work uh, with that so um, so yeah I think um, I think uh, that's something pretty cool I, I also have like a sap and, and and I say that because I actually have inspired by what you said I have like the um, Suede, not Suede, the previous edition of Savage Worlds, the Vietnam, Weird Vietnam uh, book that I got at an auction at a recent convention at Chupacabacon. So maybe uh, I'll try to get that to the table or use those rules. We'll see. We'll see. But thanks for the call, Sam. Always great to hear from you um, in both here and in, in Connerly's uh, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. So take care and keep uh, keep telling those Twilight 2000 tales. I love it. Um, 
next, I think we're not playing Twilight 2000 this week, but next week, and then we're going to get into, we'll probably get into some stuff and maybe you'll have some comments on how the, if the characters survive or what the characters are doing. Um, they're, they're getting to a head against some, someone called the Admiral who has a flotilla of many boats and we'll see how they're going to handle it. Um, are they going to take the attack to them or wait for them to attack um, Gora Calvaria? We'll see. All right. Thanks for the call again. So speaking of Savage Worlds, I did play Savage Worlds twice this past weekend. Uh, in one, I played um, Savage Rips, and I'll talk about that first, and then talk a little bit about a really cool game that Kevin Madison at Dungeon Musings uh, ran called Big Swords Saga. So, so Rips, right? So it's an ongoing campaign. They're part of this group called the Tomorrow Legion. And we, we did the adventure out of the box set uh, situation at Garnet Town or something like that, or encounter it at Garnet Town, or the Garnet Town Gambit. That's what it was called from the box set. We played that and went through it. And now and the player characters uh, captured one of the bad guys. And now they've been tasked to, since he's a diplomat, and they don't want to go all at war with uh, a nearby political entity called the Federation of Magic, that uh, Tomorrow Legion is going to, have the player characters send him back. But they also get another mission, and they, they learn that from an informant, apparently the Federation Magic has some uh, civil strife, kind of a, there's different factions within the Federation of Magic, and while Lord Dunskin, who rules out of the City of Brass, is a nominal leader, there is opposition. And one of the places that has opposition has gives some intel that Lord Dunskin is looking for this artifact that will allow him to scry on his enemies and the group that tells the the tomorrow legion that is saying well we'd rather have it for defense so we'll see if that happens or works so players are taking this prisoner i thought it was pretty fun but they, <laughs> the uh, uh Maina and halima who's now a techno wizard designed a cage um to keep the prisoner who's a uh, some sort of sorcerer in and they kind of designed it with some magic hindrances as well as some technical hindrances in, in mind. And they strapped the cage to the shoulder of the uh, Triax Forger robot that they have. So they, they head out. Uh, the first day we get to Merktown. And as I'm telling it, it sounds a lot better than it actually happened. I feel there are a lot of pauses. I didn't really know quite what to do in Merktown, and I want to remedy that. I've, I've acquired um, a PDF of the book, which are readily available um, on drive-thru. And I definitely am looking, tracking, trying to track down a physical copy because I just love the Rips books. I just love having them for the art. The art on the covers alone is pretty cool. Um, so um, anyway, uh, I kind of kind of glossed over Merktown, and it seems like it's definitely uh, more detailed or has been more detailed in the Riftsverse and kind of only gets a little blurb of the Gazetteer and the Savage Rift. But I think that's what they expect you to do with Savage Rifts is go and – there's so much material. I go reference the uh, the um, the rips stuff that has been published already for your your world of detail, and we'll just give you adventures and adventure hooks and adventure seeds and and play and have at it. That's kind of the way Savage Worlds writing seems to work. But uh, but I did we did have an encounter at Murktown. Some mercenary group of um, of demons um, tried to 
take Simon, uh, whether they were going to take him and return him in good standing or take him and kill him. Who knew? Who knows? It was very unclear. But they saw that this group was kind of camped, followed them throughout the town and then camped nearby them. They camped outside of the walls of Murktown um, near the Tennessee Headhunters headquarters. Um, but uh, kind of far, so far, far away that they wouldn't you know, get noticed. But uh, they noticed these these uh, pursuers and uh, Lady Serena went over to them. And it was like a one, uh, was a, they're called Broodkill. One of the Broodkill leader and about eight uh, Broodkill um, various cybernetics that they had. And she went and confronted them and said, why are you following us? He's like, uh, well, you know what, we're following you. And then there was this verbal exchange. Eventually it came to blows. Um, Serena, well, when Serena cast Smite, uh, the Broodkill demon realized, okay, the, okay, now we're fighting. So it was a really good, it was a pretty good fight. Um, the player, the other players had their characters about a hundred meters away and they closed the gap very quickly. Uh, both the robot and the, um, Mayima's ATV are pretty damn fast, and they got up there within a round and were able to open. Or they're, they're well, they're kind of in range for some of their weapons, um, but uh, they wanted to make a statement. But Mayima kind of drove up to the edge of the camp and just unloaded with the railgun, um, and uh, and you know Mayima was fighting the the broodkill was surrounded by a bunch of of these broodkill and fighting the leader. Uh, she was injured, but kind of soaked most of it. And man, I could not. So to save my life, and I think that's what made it really fun combat is that they were, you know, hitting the creature, hitting the creature, and I had to spend Benny's uh, to soak all the wounds from the broodkill leader, while the others were mowing, the others broodkill and mowed down. They really didn't do much to the heroes. Um, I think some cool things that happened was um, I, Halima. Well, so Ariel kind of flew in there too, and to give Lady Serena support, and burned a, burned a couple broodkill injured the leader as well and then um halima it was really cool we got to get the robot in and with her new her new psi powers was able to uh, shift the arcane arcane background either weird science or psionics one of them that works and is able to now have some a few powers and was able to act, use now the demon sword since robot and the giant flaming demon sword which I think is pretty cool. And she went up there and attacked uh, the Broodkill leader, who's like, oh my god, this is Garthul's sword, I want it. So he tried to grab it from her. Um, and that, that didn't really work against a giant robot, unfortunately. Another funny thing that happened is Simon tried to go incorporeal and escape, but uh, I had him kind of compete like um, magic versus like her magic role versus his spirit role to get out. And he kind of, and they had designed it correctly, her and Maima, so that he kind of it shocked himself and it affected his incorporeal form so he couldn't get out of the cage so it was a really nice uh, kind of magic techno magic cage that's keeping this incorporeal uh, sorcerer in i thought that was kind of fun uh, to play that out and in the end uh, lady serena in a frenzy uh, just kind of cut down two of the broodkill and the leader in like one shot with amy acing again on the damage roll um and then i mean Darren's character, Maima, with the railgun was just... Um, Ariel didn't do a lot, unfortunately, but uh, her time will come and she will shine, I'm sure. I think if Darren's trying to maybe get a hang of how the, the Sonic character works, but he's definitely having fun with Maima and her railgun rail gun laid in ATV and just like mowing down uh, Broodkill left and right to keep him off, uh, to, uh, acting as a, a very effective support role and keeping him off of her, uh, her her fellow heroes so that's really that was pretty cool so i think in the in next time 
I definitely am trying to track down some, some proper travel rules. Um, Kevin Madison has used them before in games that I played. I don't know if they're from Savage Worlds or from one of the Rifts books, but I'll track them down and kind of use it for the next couple days of travel and see what might happen and if there's any random encounters. Or maybe they'll hang out in Murktown for a little bit now that I can give them some more detail. So we'll see. And then now Big Sword Saga, right? So so this is part of a, the charity, one of the charity games that Kevin is running. And it's an ongoing saga. This is the third one we've run. And he ran it. I, I thought of the premise was so cool. He's running it sort of Boxer Rebellion, China era, and we're peasant heroes, a part of the resistance against the imperial overlords in a way. And it was two, I mean, centered around two big combats. You tied in things from previous adventures that happened in previous ventures, which I think is very cool. I love this kind of legacy idea and something that my character did actually in the previous adventure when we, did, we were playing Legionnaires. Um, his medic, he was a medic, and he just ran after the rest of the Legion was being mowed down or cut down by um, by demons and uh, some sort of sorcerer and got the, as these tablets to a group of, um, of steppe warriors, uh, Mongolian or other... Um, I think, I don't, I think they were Mongolian. Anyway, he gave them, or maybe they were Han soldiers. I don't know. He gave them, he got the tablets to them and sort of it. And then these tablets came back in this adventure. So, and then they even mentioned the character's name, Praxis, which I thought was kind of cool. But it was two, two combats. Uh, one, we got to, we went to a village and there was a big boss. And it seems like this is a good reason. So like a one big boss per four or so heroes and two, um, Two non-wild cards, two minions. I, they're called extras. I think they're called extras in Savage Worlds per uh, per um, per character, and I think that worked out pretty well. Because then you can just add extras in as you need them if it's not if it's kind of not tough enough. But it was it was a really fun fight. Um, my character, I played a um, like a, the uh, the leader of the rebel group. We called ourselves the Mountain Zephyrs, and uh, you know we. I really liked how Kevin threw in the uh, the kind of mystic martial arts in there with uh, mundane attacks and i think we had a we had a really good time we defeated these bandits saved the village found out some interesting information uh got a name had to rush back to our village and we found some people that we knew that had had gone to uh west to the edge of the empire uh the chinese empire and now they brought these tablets back so these tablets reappeared and then we had to defend them against an assault um and again it was like one big boss and about eight or so extras uh, maybe more. I don't know. There are a lot of extras, but it was a really a fun fight. Um, we defeated the foe. I think Darren Green's character got the mortal blow on the creature, like aced a lot of damage with his big glaive. And I also, I think what was kind of neat is we really used to good effect conviction. So we'd gotten conviction from saving the village and we used it to good effect in the second combat, uh, which is a really nice mechanic that makes you really even more heroic than just re-rolling and using bennies. Uh, I think it's a kind of, because a conviction is an extra D6 on top of your wild dice and skill dice, and it can ace as well. And you use it for everything <laughs> during, during the round, and you can keep it going round per round with a benny. So I think it's a really great mechanic. And uh, we had a really good time with um, with this game, and I can't wait to continue. Savage World is such a good system. It's so uh, generic and universal, and... And there, there's actually, so Pinnacle um, has come out with this like a uh, Wuxia style mystic Kung Fu um, box set that's coming out. And, uh, but you, Kevin didn't even 
need to reference that um, at all with with what he did. So, so I think you could do like um, what Hobbes has referred to, kind of historical fiction with a little bit with a hint of magic in sort of a niche a type uh, historical role playing game uh, that's not quite historical, but you know what I mean, historical fiction. So, um, so I think that was pretty cool. All right. So, um, what's next? A brief pause or a musical interlude, and then call it Cthulhu. So, as I mentioned before, we finished up the adventure called Spare the Rod, which is not in the book that I said it was, but it's in another book. And that book is called, I had it here somewhere. Yes, that book is called More Adventures in Arkham Country. And it's not by Golden Goblin Press, though. Oscar Rios, um, the, is the owner of Golden Goblin Press, is an author in one of the adventures here. It's by Miskatonic River Press. And this adventure is called, that we played and finished up, it's called Spare the Rod. And it is by Adam Gauntlet. Now, there are numerous authors in here in this tome. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, six adventures, a trail of Cthulhu conversions, and then a bunch of maps and handouts. It's really nice. So six scenarios uh, for for adventures in Arkham Country, and that's why my Roll20 is now called Arkham Country. So it's a, it a really cool adventure. When we last left the heroes, the investigators, Amy plays Keiko Kane, a resident at Arkham Asylum, and, and my friend Anne... Uh, plays uh, Professor Samuels, who is a professor at Boston University and also a writer for Stranger, it's not Stranger Things, it's called Stranger Than Fiction, some some magazine uh, periodical that talks about strange stuff. Um, and he's here, he was an old mentor, uh, undergrad professor or medical school professor when uh, Keiko was going to, um, to BU. And uh, BU Medical School or Mass Gen Medical, I don't know, some medical school, uh, maybe even was it Harvard Med? She, I think she went to Harvard undergrad and then some medical school. We decided BU maybe um, in Boston, or maybe even Tufts Medical School, one of the medical schools other than Harvard in Boston. So anyway, uh, they're there. They just defeated a night gaunt. Um, Outside of the house of Goody Fowler, they found her book. Um, then they kind of started investigating further and doing things. They uh, they got back to that through the house, able to sort of peruse the um, the book. They had totally decided not to give it to Asenoth uh, Wait, um, and are going to study it themselves. So they kind of flipped through it, found some clues. But they need a, like a full day of study at least to go about it, looking at it. Um, and I, I feel like did the professor work on it all night? It's possible. In any case, the next day, there's some news articles that uh, a couple places were broken into. The uh, the archaeology lab where they found the, the doll, this kind of voodoo-esque doll that is uh, referent to the reverend that um, – or maybe – is very important, and that they learned could contribute to the demise of the uh, the revenant that they're pursuing. And then they also there was a break in there, and they learned that the uh, 
the, the graduate student that they had been interacting with, Nathan Richards, had been injured. Um, and the other article was that the a school had been broken into. And so they investigated those two locations, got some more clues, uh, learned that the uh, revenant, um, who was an old sadistic schoolmaster, was now, I should give a trigger warning for this. So there is a suggestion of violence against children in this adventure. If that bothers you, you should probably stop now listening or skip uh, towards the end, probably skip about five minutes or so, and uh, you should be all right. Um, I will keep track of the time here and maybe add an addendum if necessary. So um, anyway, so they um, they find out that this revenant is going to go after some bad children. They uh, learn which children are targeted. They stake out the, the location of one of the children, and they run into some of Goody Fowler's ghouls who rough them up pretty badly, but Amy's character is able to cast a spell and cower them temporarily. There's some talk back and then they convince the ghouls just want to know where they're at in pursuing uh, this person. And Professor Samuels suspects that Goody Fowler wants the revenant for her own nefarious purposes, but they can't figure out quite what. They convince the ghouls to let him go. They'll go get the doll. Then they'll come back in here and stake out uh, with them, the revenant, with the revenant, stake out with the ghouls uh, against the revenant. And then when they bind him, they'll help them go with with him to Goody Fowler and do what she needs to do. So they kind of convince, deceive, lie to the ghouls because yeah, they're going to get all these things, but they're not going to, they're not going to let Goody Fowler, whatever her plan is, get away with it or whatever. Um, so they want to foil the, uh, the old uh, undead witch who is trapped um, there on Hangman's Hill in Arkham. So um, they go home, they get the doll, they get the book. They, um, yeah, so, so definitely the professor had spent time studying the book and studying it all night because by this time they were ready to go. So the idea was that Amy's character was going to cast a spell to subdue the revenant, the ghouls were going to capture it, and then um, the professor was going to, uh, so they learned that if they lit up the doll and said this particular word, that um, they would destroy the revenant. So, and then Amy had already prepared that, and I told her that, What's going to happen if you cast this mind-blowing spell? Because spells don't really exist in the real world, but you know, because of non-Euclidean geometry, I guess they do. That you're going to go in, uh, temporarily insane, or not, you're going to have a bout of madness, if not go temporarily insane, if you want to cast a spell at the power to subdue uh, this creature. So she was going to max it out as best she could. Um, so she was prepared for that. They were prepared for that, and uh, it worked. The craziest thing is that uh, they're so bad at sneaking, and you know how it is in a game where you're stealthy, and you inevitably fail the stealth roll, and the bad guys see you, but they both rolled an extreme success on their stealth, and the ghouls just failed, which is amazing because ghouls can smell and all that kind of stuff, so they were kind of lucky. Um, the ghouls didn't detect them. The revenant didn't detect them. The ghouls attacked the revenant and distracted it. And I mean, the revenant was pretty powerful. It like cut a ghoul in half in like one swipe. So, so like, oh, good thing we didn't fight it. So then, uh, uh, Amy's character Keiko casts her spell, um, and and lights up the kerosene laden doll and speaks the word, destroys the revenant, destroying the revenant, stopping any harm to any children that they know of, um, and then um, and then uh, yeah winning the scenario. I think the cool thing that I did is I asked uh, what I've been doing recently. 
I did this at a convention too. Uh, this is idea, you know, it is this idea, and it's a very valid idea that um, characters lose uh, player agency when they go temporarily insane um, or have a bout of madness, just roll randomly, and something happens that doesn't really necessarily work. So, what I've been doing is, yes, you're going to, you know, the consequences, you know, what's going to happen. So then, I ask the player, how do you manifest your your bout of madness, or what is your temporary insanity? And Amy's character decided that because of the heat of the of the it was hot August, humid, hot, hot humid August day. Uh, the fire. She's just gonna run around um, for X amount of rounds and trying to take off her clothes. And then Professor Samuels, after he destroyed the creature, grabbed her and took her back to the car. He got away, and that was the scenario. It's very cool. I very much enjoyed it. Um, have really good players and and the role playing. I mean, it sounds like not a lot happened, but there's so much going on. It's, four hour three to four hour session with all the role playing that went involved so uh, call of cthulhu is a fantastic game i love it and i hope to continue to, to play out uh, this sort of uh, mini campaign intermittent campaign that we're running all right so i'm going to stop here this is the outro the next section is going to be an unboxing but it's only a two and a half minute unboxing and um so if you want to hang on for the outro and the unboxing, well, here's the outro. Thank you for listening to The Geomologist Presents. You can, if you have any comments or questions, I love the interaction, as you can see um, here by the posts and responses. So send me a line at uh, or a message, either a voice recorded message or an email at geomologist at gmail.com. Uh, you can leave me a, a 90 second message on SpeakPipe. It is linked in the show notes. And you can. Uh, send me a message. You can also do the voice recorded message and send me a DM on the various on the Discord. I'm on a lot of them. Um, my handle is easy to find. You can DM me, and then, or you can leave me a message on Spotify for Anch- Spotify for Podcasters website, formerly Anchor. Um, it works. It's only a minute. It works sometimes, and I've heard people have trouble. For example, you have to like make a new account every time, which is kind of dumb. Anyway. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you soon. And remember, everyone. Good night and good rolling. Okay, I got another box, and this one is from Lightning Source, so Drive Through RPG Publishing. It is about, uh, looks to be about nine inches by. It's one of those long boxes. It's probably like 14 inches or so, but it's like one of those. It's perforated, so it should be easy to open. Let's see. Not so easy because the tape label is on the perforation. And this one is. Oh, very cool. Oh, wow. I did not know I had ordered. Um, well, I knew I ordered this, but I didn't know I got the hardcover. But this is Bite Bait Al-Azif, number five. And it is, is that right? It is number five, I believe. It is a magazine for Cthulhu Mythos role-playing. And I, apparently I got the hardcover, which is kind of cool. It's uh, very kind of nice, I think. Wow, it's 
about 116 pages of hardcover Call of Cthulhu material. There are, uh, looks like there are uh, two adventures in here and a whole bunch of other articles, um, including some like why you should be playing Cthulhu Invictus. Um, and then Designers and Dragons from Arc Dream Publishing 2007 to the present, an interview with John Scott Times, um, Vampires in the Mytho in Your Mythos Game, so uh, pretty cool, pretty cool. So oh, the history of Cthulhu in Spain, pretty interesting. It's a, and then there, the scenarios are kind of cool too. There's a Dead Man Chest, which is Golden Age of Piracy scenario, and the other scenario is... Where is the other scenario? Well, the stuff on how to make good um, starter scenarios, which is kind of nice. And, oh, a Trojan War scenario, which looks very interesting. So there you go. That's uh, Bite Al-Aziz number five. Looking forward to it. There's definitely some stuff from these magazines that I want to run. And I hope to uh, be able to run them sometime. <laughs>